I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line, with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, the film editors, the sound editors, sound mixers, choreographers, composers, and even authors. You name it. Oh, and let's not forget costume designers. You name it, we talk to them. And boy, we're going to do some talking today because, personally, I love the opening today with the, with the screaming banshees. Um, because if you are currently watching on the Facebook live stream, you're going to notice I'm not here alone. Um, thank God. <laughs> this, we have this ne'er-do-well here again I'm for, a, I think, I'm what is this? Your, is this your fifth or sixth time on the show? You know, we talked about that before, how I was I was close to the record or I'd broken the record. You had broken moment. the record. Yeah, I don't know where I am now. I think you're... I think, it's like six. I think. I think this is your sixth yeah. time on the show. Yeah. Sound guru, founder of the Hollywood Sound Museum, Steve Lee is with us again in studio. Hi, everybody. Is that your semi-Mickey voice? That's my announcer young, youthful voice. I've got, I've, got a, I've got the slightly older one. I've got the youthful one. And then i got the really young one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Look, in all the teases that Steve and I have both done this week about today's show, and I, I can honestly tell you, I have no clue what is about to happen on today's show. I've told very few people. Yeah, well, you didn't even tell me, and it's my show. I know, right? I know. <laughs> You know, boy, this better be some there, good reveals there that might we be have. Some good surprises. Well, well, I think I think it's just it's it's long coming news, and it's you know it's I I'm excited. I'll say that much because and you have been such a supporter of my the project, the Hollywood Sound Museum. We've been talking about it for six years now, almost. But uh, we're finally making some traction, and I'll be, I'll be telling everybody about that very soon. Well, you know, I am such and. Regular listeners know and, and people that know me, because of my dad's 60 years in television broadcasting That's right. at WFIL and WPVI in Philadelphia, an ABC O&O station, um, he firmly believed in preservation. And, you know, he is in the hall of, inducted into the Hall of Fame of the Broadcast Pioneers of Philadelphia. I'm a member uh, as well. But... We have to preserve our legacy. As my dad always said, we have to know, in the industry, it was very important to know where we came from, technologically as well as creatively, where we are and where we're going to go in the future. Absolutely. But one of the problems that we have been facing in the industry, in television, in sound, in film, are all the old-timers are passing away, and their legacy and their knowledge an experience is not being captured and preserved before they're gone. Uh, and this is one of the greatest laments of my dad before he passed was ABC. They were building a new studio mm -hmm. right next door to the old studio in, for WPVI in Philadelphia mm -hmm. at 4100 City Line Avenue. And which, by the way, the original building, it was round, built by Walter Annenberg, who had owned the station as WFIL, as part of Triangle Publications. Uh, and Walter, he loved to brag to people that the bricks were custom-made because they were curved for the, for the round building. And they truly were. <laughs> um, but there was, all, there was hours and hours, like 80,000-some videotapes. Wow. Coded videotapes for years. Yeah. 
And my dad was in the hospital at the time, and they were given, I think, you know, less than six hours to get as many out as they could. Yikes. And from his hospital bed, he's calling people to get them to help move stuff out and get it turned over to the broadcast pioneers to save. Wow. And all of that and so many other things, we turned over a lot of personal stuff of his going back to recordings from the 1920s and 30s oh, wow. um, that are part of the Digital Archive Project That's great. with Broadcast Pioneers. So this is why when you came up with this <laughs> stellar idea with the Hollywood Sound Museum, yes, yes uh, you know, it is an incredible, incredible project. And we're going to go in deep about this. We'll talk this. very soon. We will. But first, a very important film. I have, to, I have to talk about this, especially since my friend Phyllis Nage, Oscar-nominated Phyllis Nage, for her screenplay for Carol, uh, directed by Todd Haynes a few years ago. This is Phyllis's theatrical narrative film directorial debut. She previously directed a film called Mrs. Harris, a telemovie, back in 2005. And now she jumps into the big pond with Call Jane. And I have to say, Call Jane, this is a call to action right now, people. When this film was, it deals with the issue of abortion. When this film was made, the Supreme Court had not overturned Roe versus Wade. Times have changed. We are now looking at a time very similar to the 1968 time period when this film takes place. This is a fictional film, but the narrative was experienced by many, many, many women. Uh, women that, in this particular case, our protagonist, she's a, a suburban Chicago housewife named Joy. Her husband is a, su is a successful attorney making who's just made partner in his law firm. She has a teenage daughter, and turns out she's pregnant. Happy about it, but the pregnancy causes a cardio causes cardiomyopathy to come to the surface and doctor says don't know if you're going to live or not uh if you try if you attempt to have to carry this pregnancy to full term and she makes the decision well i need to be here for my husband i need to be here for my daughter you know hospital refuses they will and this is, was true at the time and even Phyllis does, I have not told this to Phyllis even, and I know she's listening right now, but when my mother was pregnant with my brother in 1959, she was forced, they th couldn't find a heartbeat on him, and she was forced to carry him full term, not knowing if he was dead or alive. So this is a very personal film to me, um, knowing what my mother went through. But in this particular case, in 1968, the Call Janes were emerging, and it was women supporting women. And here we have Joy, beautifully played by Elizabeth Banks and probably an award-worthy award performance from her. Sigourney Weaver, who plays the head of this, the Jane, the Call Jane group. And we go through what all these women went through in 1968. The back alley abortionists, the hospitals that if you want an abortion, well, you're going to need two psychiatrists to say you're suicidal. The truth, you know. Um, it's a sad state of affairs. And now in many states, we're in that same boat again. So this is a film that shows women coming together being proactive, being supportive. It is, it, uh, there is so much in here to unpack with uh, nuanced emotional complexity, intelligence. We have shifting emotions happening. And the film tackles more than the abortion issue because it calls attention to the racial and economic disparity, religious and male-dominated cor corporate influences, and the perspective of the younger generation. But all of it, comes is tied together through the umbilical cord of abortion. Phyllis has done an amazing job, and if you haven't seen the film, please do yourself a favor. But right now you're going to hear a short clip of an excerpt of my interview 
with Phyllis Naj as she talks about where she began to break this down. What was it that attracted her to telling this story? This film is so well done, Phyllis. It is a call to action for today. I know you when you got this, you know, Robbie got this script to you originally and you started working on it. Where do you begin with a film like this to break it down? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, you know, I knew when I read it. Well, I didn't know anything about the Jane, but I was very taken with the notion that a collective of women existed who simply got on with it to solve a problem in a way that we are not used to any longer. Or if we have collectivism, it's largely performative. And, and though a lot of good has been done by some key organizations along the way these last few years, certainly there's a lot of other kinds of complacent um, activism that takes the form of social media, you know, what, virtue signaling. So I thought this was a chance to remind people of how people work together to solve a problem rather than do what, what quite a few abortion films that I've been seeing going back, you know, through history. We pick exceptional things. We pick problems. We demonize women. We, we do everything but normalize what is an essential part of women's health care. And so I saw potential there to do that with this film, but also with a lightness of touch that I think is essential to speak to people of all persuasions, mm -hmm. not just people we agree with. And in order to do that, you must lean into a, a gentle sense of humor. And so that, that became the, the rule, really, for me. And that does carry through the entire film. Uh, Call Jane, it's on 1,071 screens across the United States right now. I can't encourage you enough to see this film. Um, see it before you vote. And, you know, be informed. But it's very well done. And as I told Steve before, the sh before we went on, Phyllis shot this in Super 16. Yeah, that's great. And that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, there you go. Call Jane. Get to your theaters. And now, we're going to call on the immortal, the sound guru himself, <laughs> Steve Lee, because I know all of the soundies out there who are listening... We're all dying to know what okay. what is this big stuff you have. Well, as everyone who has been following the progress of this project that I've taken on, uh, Uphill Project, the Hollywood Sound Museum, to, to find a, an actual brick-and-mortar location, we always decided that, well, we're going to start with a few pop-ups here and there. But we, we were always struggling with funding, and we actually... <laughs> we're able to finally get uh, enough funding to have our first installation. And it's going to be this coming Thanksgiving weekend at LostCon. It's a science fiction convention. It's actually held by uh, the longest run uh, science fiction organization in the country, uh, LostFus. They've been around forever. And uh, they've had this convention since, I think, 1975. And uh, they've been very good friends with my father, uh, who was a science fiction consultant and, and writer and he would uh, speak at LostCon quite often and when he passed away a few years ago they asked me if I would come and, and be a part of a, a tribute to him, a little memorial and this was about six, seven years ago and they have invited me back every year since to hey, come on, do whatever you like you know. and they've given me a panel for the Hollywood Sound Museum where I've given updates and had little talks, much like the one I'm doing with you right now, and mm -hmm. play, play fun sound effects and talk about their history. And uh, when I got the call this year, they basically said, hey, you know, we could give you a room if you've got some of your exhibits ready. And so we leapt at the chance. So at LostCon, Thanksgiving weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 
uh, we're going to have an installation of our sound montage exhibit, which is sort of a walkthrough experience. It's in a it's in a room with about six speakers, and it's going to be this sort of audio experience where you can hear all these wonderful sounds from many different films, and there will be signage up between the speakers so you can read about the history of, of some of the sounds. And it's got a slight science fiction fantasy edge because it's Lost Con. Um, in fact, Pam, if you'd like to play cue number five, um, this is a little sample of some of the science fiction films. Now, see, all you science fiction film aficionados out there, see how many sounds you can recognize from classic science fiction films over the years. just a really quick sample but uh but yeah the funniest thing is watching pam's face as this is playing she's straining to identify <laughs> these sounds and where they've come from well i can i can tell you there's uh, the first one was uh, forbidden planet the 1956 yes. film louis and bb baron creating all those wonderful sound effects utilizing mostly uh just controlled feedback they would generate these tones through their sort of custom circuits that they built and uh, sort of control the feedback so it sort of had this otherworldly sound to it. Uh, also in there, uh, we heard, um, we actually heard a recording, a new recording done of the old Ken Strickfadden Jacob's Ladder prop that was made for Frankenstein, the 1931 Frankenstein. Okay. And that's a recording that our, our buddy Richard Anderson made uh, for, a, I think for Poltergeist, I'm not sure exactly, but they found all the original props from Frankenstein and re-recorded them. And also a, a favorite of mine, the man in the white suit, the chemical apparatus, the you bubbling gurgling. absolutely <laughs> love that. Steve, I do. Steve has played the I man do. in the white suit sound effect <laughs> on the show. I think the first time he was here, he loves that. I do. So I'm not surprised that it I is do. in this montage. Well, you know, the woman who made those sounds, Mary Haberfield, uh, did not get credit on the film. And so I'm always singing her praises for that. And she was a very talented sound editor and worked on many films. Some of them she was credited on. But this one where she utilized so much creative talent, name's not on it. So I always sing her praises whenever I get the chance. But, uh, yeah, she recorded all those little drips and gurgles and edited them together into like a 4-4 four -four composition. And, uh, and then finally at the end there we heard uh, Randy Tom's uh, famous sound from Contact, the, the message that we got from space that motivates Jodie Foster through the film. But these are played back in a room, a big room, with six speakers surrounding the room. Mm -hmm. And they're going off in random speakers and you can walk around and hear different things when you come in. I was inspired. I remember I make a lot of uh, comparisons to Disneyland. Uh, planning this museum it reminds you me of some of the stuff i do love disneyland. disneyland i do love disneyland when walt disney was uh brought through the mock-up for pirates of caribbean the designers were really concerned that there was too much noise going on there were too many sound bites and people talking and all this but walt was thrilled he said no 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 it's great because it's like a cocktail party you get to go in and you listen to a few people here. You go over there and listen to something different. And every time you go there, it's something new. So he loved that. And that's kind of what this is. There's so many different things going off in so many different channels and parts of the room that you could walk through a couple times and hear completely different things. Or you could sit. There, are, there will be chairs in the room, too. People can sit and listen to the whole 15, 20-minute presentation. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So now, where is Los Con held? Los Con is held at the LAX Marriott. And if you go to loscon.org. Spell it. L-O-S-C-O-N dot O-R-G. Okay. You go there. It'll take you right to the link. You can see all the different presenters. They've got so many things. It's, it's mostly a literary convention, but right. I've been... 
I've been force feeding the media for the last few years, <laughs> but no, they, they have a lot of different presentations. Um, the other year, uh, Nicholas Meyer, the director was there and I shared a couple panels with him. Uh, I always bring, uh, some of my soundies, uh, with me, Richard Anderson, Oscar winner for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, will Richard, probably join Richard who was called in here he has before. called in and, and may again sometime, <gasps> but, uh, Ooh. Yeah, we uh, we have a great time there and share the stories. And now we've got a room that we're going to uh, hover around and play things and share even more. That's very exciting. Yeah, and this will lead to another pop-up that we're working on. I can't announce just yet, but but basically this is like a grand experiment. We're, we're getting the, ex- the exhibit out there for people to hear. Because eventually all of these exhibits will be housed in one location. Exactly, and we're doing all this R&D work to make it happen for this, and it will just keep going and evolving. And this particular exhibit, too, is fun because as new product comes out from the studios... And uh, who will hopefully be sponsoring us. We've already been talking to some of them. We will incorporate new films and new things into the montage experience so people can, you know, on their way into the museum itself, they'll hear all these different things and hopefully be eager to learn how all this stuff was made. See, and that's what, that's one of the great things is you hear things like this and there are people out there. I, and I've got to mention him, young filmmaker Theo Taplitz, Theo... Uh, has called it, Theo was one of my favorite future filmmakers uh, at L.A. Film Festival many years ago. Uh, he's now a student. It's either at Columbia or NYU. Mm-hmm. But uh, when Miss, uh, the good Mr. Hecker from Formosa oh, yes. was on the show, Theo called in to talk to him about some sound issues that he was having on one of his films that he was making. And this was when Theo was still... He had barely started high school, <laughs> uh, but his curiosity was such. And I've heard this from, and I've encouraged a lot of filmmakers, first-time directors who have been on the show or who I've interviewed off the show, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I'll mention sound to them. And it's like, well, you know, I didn't pay that much. No, 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 no. <laughs> Cinema is a sensory experience. That's right. Sound is one of the senses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, things like this, if they are out there, yeah. you know, I think that the fact that they that you're doing something like this, that they can come to and listen and ask questions. Yes, absolutely. It will expand not only their horizon, but it will improve their work as a filmmaker. This is the whole philosophy behind what inspired me to do this in the first place and yeah and we're going to be completely available to people who visit our exhibit at the convention and answer questions and explain things i'm even going to do we're going to pick one the 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 montage is going to be running continuously through the the convention you can just wander through you know when you're waiting for another panel or whatever you can come down and hang out with us and listen to more of it but uh we're going to pick one or two of the presentations of the whole thing where I'm actually going to do a running commentary and like tell people uh, there, there's, we're working on another version of this too, that actually has screens up that actually will in sync to the audio, tell you what the different films are and actually have the stories on a, on a video screen right now. We're just, we've got printed panels right now, but, mm-hmm. but uh, it's, it's going to be an evolving thing, but there, there'll always be people there that will, tell you about this sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah. now will you be bringing any visual aid toys i'll have a few things you you asked for these right here i'm handing her I something i did yeah. i did i might have spoken about those before on the show i don't know but um one of the films i worked on with richard anderson was the nightmare before christmas and uh we needed to record some new dice sounds for oogie boogie rolling the dice in the film and there it is. Richard Anderson went and bought these at uh, the Hollywood Magic Store on Hollywood Boulevard. And they're this, this if you're watching the, the, the video, they're these oversized dice. And uh, we used them for, for Oogie Boogie rolling the dice. And he throws them around and they bounce in, into like skeleton skulls and rattle around. I used uh, wooden salad bowls for that. But uh, when we were done with the film, I kept these in my desk for years and years and years, and we would use them as, as sound effects props for, um, you know, 
whenever we needed something like them. I used them for marbles once because they had that kind of kind of sound. Kind of. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I and always on Halloween. I always keep those in my pocket just as a little because it's Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm curious. You know, now. What other films, without divulging the complete montage that oh, you gosh. will be doing, but what other films will you be drawing from, the sound from, to bring into your montage? Well, it's interesting. There are several sequences in the montage that are like little little composites from certain films. Mm-hmm. But then there, there are interspersed random sound effects that are like signature sounds that people would recognize. Like, of course, there's a tribute to Star Wars. I mean, how can you not do a science fiction sound event without talking about Ben Burtt's extraordinary work on Star Wars? And we have a panel that talks about how he made some of those sounds. And uh, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. We've got a sequence, uh, the sequence where he, uh, he leaves the pod and goes into the ship again without the atmosphere. And, and we were talking earlier before we went on about silence, the use of silence in mm-hmm. some of these films. And that's... 2001 is an amazing experience for using silence, uh, the scientific accuracy. In fact, actually, we're having a panel discussion at the convention about sound in space. So this will come oh, up wow. again. But, uh, yeah, there's a moment in 2001 where he launches himself into the, uh, into the, the ship again, and it's just completely silent until he fills the room with oxygen again. Then you hear this huge, loud, rushing air. We've got that whole sequence laid out in six tracks. So, you know, you just just auditory with the alarms going off and then silence. And then, you know, it's left to your imagination to fill in the pictures. I'm a big fan of silence in films when Mm -hmm. it's used appropriately. Absolutely. Um, And especially when you have something like The Beguiled, uh, the remake of The Beguiled with Nicole Kidman Mm -hmm. in it, not the original one that had Clint Eastwood in it, Mm -hmm. the remake. Um, the sound, there's so much silence. And then what I love is that that silence will be punctuated with the creak of a step. Sure. Or the tur- the, a, a knob that needs to get oiled on an old southern home. Absolutely. Or you start hearing tiny little kickadas and night sounds that come in that bring you out of it. So you, you can have sharp things that just snap you. Yeah. Or these little things, but set the silence. And, you know, I have to say, I just saw Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio uh, on Saturday. I am dying to see that. As the, it was the, whoops. Oh, ah, my logo just fell over. Your logo fell down. That's <laughs> all right. Oh, well, logo <laughs> fell down. So much for the quality anyway. of scotch tape here yeah. at Adrenaline Radio. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, it's sitting right here. It's sitting right there. Yeah. But. <laughs> Yeah, you know, one of the live TV people. <laughs> I love live. Yeah, this is right. why you never right. know. <laughs> and that would have been a lovely sound to record and capture. Yeah, I'd probably give it to a foley walker to do to perform it. Well, make it yeah. a little more interesting. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, Pinocchio. It was it was the finale, the closing film for Animationist Film Festival, and Steve is a big animation oh, fan. Yeah. Absolutely, big fan. Uh, as am I. And one of the standout elements in this, number one, the film is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. For my money, this is the best picture of the year. Oh. It is the best picture of the year. Not not just best animated, best picture of the year. That's great. Is Pinocchio. But one of the things that I noticed, the sound mm-hmm. is so impeccably done. And there there is silence. But then there are also these layers of... when. Poor Geppetto, he's, you know, drunk, his his son is dead, and, you know, the, the, the darkness from Kaladi's book is really what comes to the fore in the film. Right. But you can hear the layers of just, you hear a, a wine bottle break, but then you hear just a shard being mm-hmm. stepped on by itself, and things are layered. The sound is so impeccable, and a lot of it, you notice because there was silence. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's a it's a very useful tool to use that way. When you pull back everything, suddenly, you know, any sound, as subtle as it is, becomes huge. And uh yeah, that's a great uh 
I had mentioned contact before with mm-hmm. Randy Tom. There's some brilliant usage of silence in that film too. And oh, very much yeah. so because you're straining yeah. to hear and to dial in on the frequency and yeah. the fact that one of the principal characters is blind, mm-hmm. which means his auditory capacity yeah. is heightened. Yeah, he's hearing little things in the signal that, that nobody, nobody else, else can. can hear. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially yeah. when they've lost contact with Jodie Foster's character. Yeah. It's falling through. <laughs> he can he can still hear. And yeah. he and she's going, good to go, good yeah, to go. I'm good, good to go. I'm okay to go. Yes, okay to yeah. go. That's it. <laughs> and he can hear it. Yeah. Nobody else can. But sound is so critical. Absolutely. So critical. But now this is this with Los Con is so exciting. Yes. For the Sound Museum. Well, it, it's so it's very special to me because, like I said, I had the connection with my with my father being there, and I used to go as a kid all the time. And and uh, yeah, when I came back that first time, we had a wonderful little panel for Dad, and there were so many people who were so sweet with their words and everything. Uh, and then yeah, I just I just kept coming back, and and they knew I was into sound and could bring some of that stuff to the the convention, and uh, a lot of friends there. It'll it'll be a really fun time. So, 15 to 20 minute sound montage. Yes. Certain toys will be there. Yeah, we'll have a few little things. Yeah. Yeah. None I mean, the- mostly, mostly the audio itself is, is the, big, the big thing because it's going to be running the whole time. And hopefully that'll, you know, lure people in hearing all these, these crazy sounds. Um, coming from the room. Well, in addition to this great big reveal and surprise about a pop-up at Los Con, yes. what else is happening with the Hollywood Sound Museum? Have you amassed any more collections? We're always uh, getting some wonderful stuff. Um, and it's 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 been a tough road because, you know, as you know, we're still getting out of this pandemic, and that really put a damper on a lot of the things yeah. we were doing. But I've managed to keep everything safe and secure in our, our storage units, and we're still slowly cataloging through things. As you know, we have um, the the libraries of uh, David Udall, who uh, always comes up in Halloween because he, all the films he did with John Carpenter, Christine, The Thing, mm-hmm. all these amazing sound design jobs. Uh, we have we have a sound library, and. Uh, yeah, and um, Alan Splett's great library that his uh, his widow Ann Krober entrusted us uh, to to keep charge of. We've got all that, and it's like, oh my gosh, almost like six thousand quarter inch tapes. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. Now, are you going to eventually be digitizing all of that for well, preservation's sake? It it has. There have been various. Uh, it, they have been digitized several times over the years. Uh, in fact, most recently, I think a, a studio did that that Anne had to deal with, um, and we're yeah we're gonna we're gonna make some of that available and all that. But uh, just having the tapes in a case that people can actually see because it's it's something that's not done anymore. Right. It's all it's all digital and seeing these tangible tapes that are part of history is is really exciting. And it's very sad that a lot of studios have thrown away a lot of the original magnetic masters. Yeah. So actually having them saved for you know for posterity and, and historical you know preservation is uh very important i think well you're not getting any argument from me <laughs> on on that aspect but i know you've got some other things that that you have been doing with yes, the museum well, we have you do all of these lovely little Yes. Zuminar. Yeah, Zuminar. Matt, have you copyrighted that? You should. You should copyright uh, that. I, I need to do zoom, something. Zoominar. Yeah. Um, yes, we have a very big presence online, which I've been uh, I've been cultivating over the last couple of years. Uh, we've been using the uh, the website Patreon, uh, and we have a, a bit of a following there. And uh, I've I've actually I need to catch up. I've got some some backlog of some of our talks and things I've got to get on there for our subscribers. But we have we have a bunch of subscribers there, who are uh, enjoying all of our uh, little talks. We tried, we were having one a week for the longest time, and then I know you were, yeah. Yeah, and then and and I've got a couple in the can that I've got to get out there. I've been kind of sidetracked by this exhibit thing, so. I apologize to all my Patreon subscribers. We're going to get you some content really soon. They actually got a preview of this exhibit yesterday. I gave them gave them a quick little 
Well, I saw your tease on Facebook. Yeah. For the Patreon, you know, you're going to get a look at the surprise. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still, I'm looking at this. (laughs) What is this surprise? (laughs) But this is a really good surprise. It's it's fun. You know, it's fun. And today, I mean, it's Halloween. It's going to be tricks or treats. Well, this is a big, big, big treat. Yeah. For all the sound people out there, people that appreciate sound, appreciate cinematic history, sound history, um, just I think it's spectacular. Your first pop up. I know. I'm really I'm really excited. It's interesting how how this one came to be too, because I, you know, I've been interested in sound all my life basically, and you know, fought my way into the business when I was a kid almost, and. I actually did a sound exhibit at a convention back in, oh gosh, I think I want to, 1986, I think it was. I was uh, an intern at 20th Century Fox, and uh, one of my bosses there asked me to, uh, to come with them to Atlanta for the World Science Fiction Convention because they were promoting several of the Fox films there. And I had several friends who worked for the convention too because of my father. And they offered me a table um, to uh, have a sound exhibit because they knew of my obsession with that. So I actually created a little bit of a sound exhibit for that way back then. And it was played on 8-track tape. Do you remember that? I mastered yes, it to 8-track tape. I remember 8-track <laughs> tape. I remember Sempty Time coding yeah, yeah. on video. I, yeah. Well, 8-track was fun because it, real, could just, it could just repeat over and over. So, um, yeah, so that was that was my first foray into this kind of audio exhibit kind of thing and so that was always in the back of my mind when i started plans for the hollywood sound museum that i I gotta have some kind of auditory experience that people can walk through when you say something to you know when you people ask you what you're doing is i'm making a museum for sound it's kind of hard to imagine what you're going to do a museum for sound exactly um now it looks like we have Uh another surprise Uh today apparently folks Uh uh-oh um, the little light is blinking on my light thing. is. So we're, should we, should we go see who we're going to see who it is? Yeah, I don't know. And what brilliant sound guru is this calling into behind the lens today? Hi, this is Richard Anderson, a longtime <laughs> friend. <of Steve. laughs> well, hi, you're, a, you're a friend of mine too, Richard. It's Debbie. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi, Debbie. Yes, hi. This is so exciting. Now, By the way, I wanted to say, I wanted to say, Steve, hi. why aren't you working on a film instead of this? I you're know. fired. Yeah, Richard. <laughs> I worked with this man for like twenty years. And I don't think a day went by where he didn't come into my room and fire me for one reason or another. <laughs> so. As well you should, That's Richard. Right. As right. well you should. This is a wonderful surprise. Oh. You are my best Halloween treat today. I want you to know that, Richard. There you go. Oh, really? Really? Oh, well, thank you. I'm not the candy corn of your show. <laughs> no, the candy corn is I sitting love candy here. Corn. The candy corn is sitting here next to me. You know, what can I say? <laughs> What can okay. I say? Well, this is so lovely. Well, I must confess, I've been I've been driving around, so I haven't been listening to the show because um, I've been trying to get some stuff made on my movie. Well, so. Richard directed a feature film, and we're actually having the premiere in a few days at the Chinese Theater. Um, Richard, tell us about your movie. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, it's called it's called Lead the Way. Uh, spelled L-E-E apostrophe D. Okay. And um, it's about, it's a dramedy about an Asian man, an Asian-American man who's uh, uh, legally blind and has Asperger's syndrome, and uh, but decides to run for president of the United States. Wow. So, and, and he isn't getting anywhere until a Native American woman starts to help him. Yeah, helps, so helps that's the, the first couple minutes of the movie. So <laughs> I'm not giving anything away. Yeah, it's and, and wow and, and uh, drama. And Steve ensues. did the sound cutting on it. Now let me tell you something. Now wait, Richard, wait, hold on, yeah, Steve, yeah. just a minute here. Yeah, let me you tell you. you let Steve cut the sound <laughs> for this film. I was just as amazed as you are, Debbie. Well, no one else was available. <laughs> okay, all right, that's not that, true. That explains now, it. Let me let me yeah, explain. No, that. he did a good job. I, he, he, 
it was a serviceable a job. job. Most, I appreciate most of it, it was in sync, yes. <laughs> most, <laughs> most of it, yeah, yeah. Well, let me. I mean, Richard, I, I've worked with him for so many years. He's he's been, you know, a friend and mentor and one of my heroes. Um, I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Come on, the work he and Ben Burt did is yeah. just fantastic. In fact, we'll play a sample of some of that in a little bit. It's in the montage for the uh, for the exhibit, but. Uh, yeah, I, I worked with him. I was his sound library. I cut sounds for him eventually. And then here he is directing this feature film and he asks me to do his sound. It's like, you know, Rembrandt asking you to paint his house, you know? It's like, I, did, I didn't, I, did, I was a bit intimidated. I'm thinking Navajo white. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm, I'm curious, Richard. How- By the way, Steve used to often get... He Steve would often be assigned real one because real That's one right. was one of the important reels. You know, it got the whole film off to a start. Right. So. Yeah, I did a lot of real ones for Richard, and I I often thought I called him on it. I said, you know, you're giving me real one because you know I know the sound library so well, and I can pull all the sounds I need, and it gives you a week <laughs> a week to pull the sounds for the rest of the show. Isn't that right? <laughs> Well, yeah, he's on to me. <laughs> oh, my. Well, I'm curious, Richard, jumping into the director's chair, what was, what was this experience like for you to direct well, the film? Well, it was a lot of fun. He's directed a few a things. Of, it was a, I, I've done a lot of shorts and things over the years. I co-directed a feature documentary a couple of years back. So, um, I mean, it's what I originally wanted to do when I went to film school. So... Um, but you know, then I got into the sound business because I was some kid from St. Louis, Missouri, and no one would hire me to direct a movie. <laughs> oh, you just, so you just so, went about it. You took the long road. Yeah. 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 I took the long road. Right. <laughs> but anyway, I was very happy with the way it came out. It's a low budget movie, you know, and, and we shot it during the COVID um, thing. So that was, yeah. that made it extra hard. Wow. Yeah, and I and I cut the sound in a little little dark room, you know, just by myself and kind of intimidated. It was the first time I've cut all of the sound except for the dialogue. And uh it was it was a little intimidating, but uh it was a lot of fun and I'm I'm looking forward to hearing it. I wasn't at the mix, so I I'm I I'm love, love to hear it in a big room. So, who did the mix? I'm looking forward to hearing it in a big room too. Yeah. Who did the mix on it, Richard? You? Our, our, well, this is a very low budget film, so our film editor has a sort of a one man band setup. Okay. Eric Lundmark. And, um, you know, like I said, I've never heard it in a big room, but it's, it's primarily, you know, it's primarily a small film. It'll probably mainly be seen on streaming. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'd love, to, I'm looking forward to hearing it in the Chinese. So, oh, me too. Um, Chinese theater. Yeah. Now is it going to be in the big Chinese or one of the little? No, no, one no. of the little it's ones one upstairs. One of the smaller ones, the, the, the upstairs ones. Yeah, I, uh, I actually think they sound nicer anyway. I, I, they've, done, they've done a lot of work to the big room over the years. Yeah, but it but, was originally built for silence, so it's never quite to me personally. I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but it never quite sounds. No, I tend to agree with yeah. you. It tends to be a little echoey. Yeah. The the thing about going to the big Chinese, it's you want the ambiance and the experience oh, sure. of being there. The history you know, of that you room. Can, you can you can overlook, not, uh, you know, sound that might not quite be perfect when you hear it, and then go upstairs and watch it again. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to be on the spot. It's going to be playing in one of the better sounding rooms. So. Uh oh. Uh oh. Are you yeah. are you going to have Steve walk in a red carpet, Richard? I, I was um, invited. I'm not sure exactly. I don't know what how that doing. works. Um, yeah. My uh, other producer is organizing this event, so <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. I am definitely going to be there, though. So and well, then, wait. Yes, yes. We may have Steve vacuuming the red carpet. Yeah, exactly. I was going <laughs> to say. <laughs> I'll be I, cleaning up. I'll be sweeping know, up the popcorn I, after I the was, show. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm curious, Richard, because of your breadth of experience. You know, it wasn't a big, big sound of film like, say, Raiders or poltergeist or something no. like that but you know the sounds are always really important in a movie yeah absolutely and it gets the mood and the feeling and and you know and off often on like a, a dramedy it's it's that right little effect you know and it's it's that it makes it 
Absolutely. It's, it's not not so much like the, you know, the 10-minute car chase reel or something. Mm-hmm. Now, do you do you have a particular do you like for example the big car chase reels or do you like the the more intimate uh type of sound design and mix that we're seeing with a lot of the little indies um well obviously it depends on the movie you know the as a sound editor the car chase reel was was the more fun Art, you know, Richard cut the truck chase in can... Raiders of the Lost Ark. He cut all the other vehicles and all the, oh, the truck cool. sounds in, in Raiders. Yeah, so he's used to that. Yeah, real ten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the back when they were ten minute reels? That's right. <laughs> What's the what is the longest film that you have cut in your career, Richard? Um. Well, the longest film that I worked on. I didn't do the initial cut. We we restored Lawrence of Arabia, and that was, I think, 24 reels. Wow. Like three hours or something and something. I don't remember the running time, but it, it went on for a long time. Yeah. Well, I have to say the restoration of Lawrence of Arabia on every level is stunning. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, thank you. It uh, is stunning. There was a lot of trouble because, you know, there was, there was, there was sections where there was literally no track available. Yeah, they used a lot so. of tricks. We've talked a bit about it on uh, on our museum stuff. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating story. Uh, so, Richard, right. what, what? But that was that was the longest movie I've ever worked on, and yeah. you know, just just having all those reels was intimidating. It's pretty daunting. You know, what do you do when you're doing a restoration? When you're doing a, a mix or an edit, and those tra- and you have missing tracks, how do you get around that? Well, in the case of that film, there were there was uh, there was a, a couple scenes where there was an M and E available, so we had the you know so we got the sound effects and music from it. Okay. Um, every scene that was missing was different. There was one scene where we got the dialogue out of the outtake. Yeah, it's alternate takes tra- for the tra- same. The, yeah. the sync tracks were missing, but we had the outtakes. So the performance is slightly um, different, but you have to hammer said to the fit same it. Words, yeah, yeah, but in the take that the director didn't approve. <laughs> so we were able to kind of use those like wild ADR. Yeah. And sound and, uh, and, and sound effects wise too, you have to like listen for older effects in your library that were, you know, of the time. Right. So I, I wanted, I tried to get sound effects from that era as opposed to modern. Um, yeah. You don't want to, you don't so. want to put in a Raiders lost our gunshot. It, 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 uh, <laughs> not quite. No. Not quite. Not there was natural. at least two scenes the two scenes that were dialogue oriented scenes and there was no track uh there was nothing so they literally got the actors in those scenes which luckily were still alive at the time and uh looped them to a silent film yeah oh yeah wow. you had like they lip were, readers were, come in, in to help this you was guys. done yeah. in london i i wasn't involved directly with this part because they did it in london but yeah. they actually they had a, a continuity script of the final film and then they had a um they ha- got a lip reader to watch the movie yeah. and see if it really matched that's great yeah. wow so they recorded these people um doing the scenes and one of the actors had died um, the guy that played the general, I'm trying to, Jack Hawkins. Yeah, yeah. And, but before he had died, he had got, developed like throat cancer or something. So they removed something in his throat. Oh, no. So for the rest of his career, he would be in the movie and I guess make some sort of raspy talking or something. And then there was a, uh, um, a voiceover actor yeah. who could do Jack Hawkins' voice. As he and was, he would yeah. he would dub in all of Jack Hawkins' lines. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Jack Hawkins had died when we did the restoration, but his voice was still alive. His voice double was oh still alive. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So so they looped looped the one scene with him in with his voice. Wow! And, uh, but yeah. See, so these but, are the kinds of stories we're different. preserving. These are the kinds of stories yeah. we're we're going to have in the museum uh, for people to right. get inspired by. And, and Richard, yeah, I'm so you know, it's really all about it's all about problem solving. Yeah, you know, every, pretty much. Because mm-hmm. every scene is different. Um, you know, what what is the intent of this scene? What is the feel you want? Uh, where the heck are we going to get one of those? Like <laughs> uh, Steve, 
Steve, Steve was talking about on Apollo 13 getting the exact sound of the warning. Yeah, uh, the master alarm. In the, in the capsule. Yeah, yeah, I was assigned uh, several sounds in that film. Stephen Flick was the supervisor, and uh, the master alarm was one of them. And I uh, painstakingly recreated it from the original specs. That's it's that's a whole story in itself, but and ultimately it didn't get used. Ron Howard didn't didn't ah, think it was uh, dramatic ah. enough. So yeah, yeah. But these things happen. Oh, you really? get used to. I them. didn't know that. Yeah. I've never heard that part of the tale. Yeah, yeah. It was. It sounded uh, Ron Howard, and he was right. It it sounded like a Euro siren, it sounded like a you know a London oh, a London right. ambulance, like and and John P. Bless his heart had made several alarms for the film, and they just went with a real scratchy, annoying, scary uh-huh. ack 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 kind of thing. Well, no, now you sound now you sound like the Martians in Attack from Mars. No, that's more like ack ack ack. Okay. He's doing voices today, Richard. Uh, there is no excuse well, I do for voices him. Voices too. Yes, we know. We anyway. know. Now I want to know. Well, you're lucky to have him. I know. I know. Steve is now. This is his sixth appearance on the show. I'm a regular. Oh, do you, okay. A semi-regular. Semi-regular. Yeah. yeah. And oh, you're ranking up there now too. I think this is what this is. Richard's yeah, sec- second or third, maybe. Third yeah. time. Yeah. Third time yeah. you've you've called maybe. in. Oh really? Not that yes. he, not that he I knows. Know, I know this is at least second. Yeah. yeah. I just all I do well, is I'm I give. I'm looking forward to hearing the show when it's all done online, when I can actually hear the show. Well, it will be. It it's, it's we're streaming right now on Facebook and a few other mediums, but uh, it'll be there. Yeah. It'll be up tonight. I'll send right. you the link, pal. I got your back. Well, I'll catch the rerun then. <laughs> yeah, the re- and I love reruns. Yes. Reruns are great. Yeah, me too. Especially <laughs> since. I mean, you, you and Steve, everybody, they can just go to my website, to BehindTheLensOnline.net, and just type in Richard Anderson. And you'll see all of You'll come wonderful. up, type in Steve Lee. Nothing comes up with Steve. Nah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who wants to see that? But, yeah, I have everything archived, every show since day one, eight and a half years of shows. <laughs> um, right, right. Are well, all, I'm going to check them out. All oh, archived. Thank you for calling in, Richard. It's I really so sweet. you, you right. have been yes, thank Richard. you again. And you as a Steve Lee, you can lead the way too. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I, it's my name on the film too. But Richard, right, thank you right. so much. Oh, by the way, I should mention the film the film's opening on, on January thirteenth oh, on excellent. Amazon. Excellent. Oh great. That's good. Excellent. But, but Richard, thank you so anyway, much for supporting. I know it's a little early, but I'll plug that. You've been so, supporting anyway. the museum right, for well, so I'll long. Let you get on with your show. I appreciate uh, you calling in, Richard. Oh, and, and, Richard! And, and oh, Richard, Richard, Richard co-hosts and the nice podcast to with me to too. Debbie so. again too. Oh, yeah. I love talking to you, Richard. Anytime. It's always fun. One day we'll have to All chat right. without Steve around. <gasps> Okay, we can talk about him. See? (laughs) See? Sounds good. And then I'll call in and heckle him. Bye, (laughs) Bye, Richard. Richard. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Oscar winner. I love Richard. Richard Anderson. Richard's Richard's an old friend, uh, a hero of mine, and... uh, he uh, he, co- he co-hosts my podcast occasionally too yes. the, for the museum. Uh, he is great. I'd always said that if I ever had a chat show, he would be my Ed McMahon. He would be my Andy Richter, and I get to do that now. So oh, look at you! Yeah, I know, right? But but Richard, yeah, he's an Oscar winner, and of course we have to deal with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark in the montage and Pam number two. We we have a <laughs> clip from from the sounds of Raiders. In the montage, there's one moment where we start off with Indy's whip, which is such a distinctive sound. Ben Burt actually was the one who cut the sequence. Yep. He did the opening sequence, but all the rumbly rocks and the, 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 the room collapsing and the arrows going, you get to, in this exhibit, you get to walk through this room and hear it in six tracks. It's almost like you're actually, you're Indiana Jones you're Indiana hearing Jones. all this stuff. Don't so, we all want yeah, to be? So here's a sample of that. <laughs>
some sequence. You know, yeah. that's not rumbling of rocks. That is an avalanche yeah. that is burying you alive. You've got to make everything big and, and uh, huge for, for the dramatic effect. And yeah, Ben used a lot of really huge rumbly things. Well, to yeah. Well, talking about indie, I can't wait to see and hear uh, our next indie because Gary. Gary Rydstrom. Yes. Yep. Yes. I love Gary. No, absolutely. I love um, Gary. In fact, he just uh, he just did a version of it. He's he's back home now, but he was uh, dubbing that film at Fox because um, uh, Gary is a very uh, devoted supporter of the museum as well, and involved in a lot of our uh, our projects. And yeah, he was at, on the Fox lot, which is um, uh, Steven Spielberg loves to dub there, and they kept most of the production editorial and all that for for Indy Five uh, in L.A. So yeah, Gary Gary dubbed that uh, at Fox. Um, so yeah, no, it's a brilliant brilliant work. But yeah, uh, I'm I'm just so glad Richard called. I'm still a little giddy about that. You you know <laughs> you always get giddy about Richard. Yeah. Uh, he's he's the best. He's really the best. You get giddier about you don't get you don't get giddy about Mangini. You don't get giddy about <laughs> no. Ben Burt. No, Richard. I do you get, get giddy about Ben. Uh, not as giddy. much. But and Mark Mangini, we have to bring him up to, uh, to because uh, one of the uh, one of the films featured uh, is one of Mark's early works that he did with Richard. Richard supervised all the hard effects on this film, but there were a lot of creature vocal effects, mm-hmm. and Mark Mangini supervised those. And uh, let's uh, let's listen to the, uh, number three, Pam. Um, Pam's having to work today. And it's especially fun for Halloween because, you know, all of a sudden when little monsters take over the room, um, yeah, it's it's always fun. This is the sequence from uh, 1984's film Gremlins. <laughs> now imagine, imagine hearing this in a room with six channels, six speakers, individual gremlins in all the different speakers. And glass breaking. There was so much glass breaking in this film, they actually had a session just for glass breaking to make a new library of glass crashes. But yeah, yeah, Frank Welker and uh, Mark Dodson were the two main performers of all the Gremlins vocals. And uh, and Mark Mangini uh, did some speed manipulation and layered them and make those, you know, scenes of mayhem. And that's that's a fun sequence in the exhibit because you literally feel like you're in a room surrounded by gremlins. So. Yeah, and Mark's <laughs> Mark's been on the show. He's been in studio also. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Mark's. Uh, Mar- I worked with Mark and Richard together for for many many years, and uh, I'm so proud of him now because he's got two Oscars under his belt now. Um, yep. Yeah. No, he, he does. He does amazing work. And, uh, and well, yeah, all the guys at Formosa do amazing work. Oh, sure. No, absolutely. There are a lot of the guys from from the old times, my my days at Weddington, and uh, yeah, it's always a thrill to see those guys. and And they're going to be starting Dune Part Two soon, so that'll be fun. Well, I'm just tickled. I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to get Donald, um, the makeup head of makeup, uh, Donald Moat. Oh wow! I I adore Donald. We finally, finally got to do an interview. Um. Not too long earlier this year, uh-huh. after years of messaging and things back and forth, oh, yeah. we finally got to do an interview. And the first thing he says, "Why haven't we done this before?" <laughs> now, I know, right? and it's like it's I, funny how that happens. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, but now, are you going to have any special guests at the pop up at LosCon? Well, like I said, Richard will uh, probably show up. And uh, we've got a few people. Uh, my my composer friend, who always comes to Lascon, he's a regular there. David Raiklin, uh will show up too. He uh, he and I have a panel on the sound and music of Star Wars on, on the, in this particular convention. And also, my my dear friend um, Adrian Grady is coming. She is the granddaughter of Doug Grindstaff who was the supervisor of all the sound effects on a little TV show in the 60s called Star Trek. And so she has a bunch of great stories about about Doug and she's done a lot of uh like new uh some of the newer like fan films and things like that for Star Trek. So she has a lot of experience with those sounds 
and uh, we're going to talk about those also. Because those sounds are very distinctive sounds. Oh, absolutely. And there's a sequence in the exhibit, too, where we take you onto the bridge of the Enterprise. And when you're walking oh through the room. Oh, my yeah. God. It was, that was a fun sequence. Uh, Charles Maines, who mixed it for us, who's, who's a brilliant sound designer. Uh, I had cut all these sounds from the original library, from the Paramount Library, and I'd placed all the bridge sounds thinking ahead to a six- or eight-channel environment and placing the sounds, you know, labeling them so that when we mix them, we could put them in certain speakers because I, I treated it as if, if you were sitting in a theater facing the screen, the pl speaker placement, you would hear the turbo lift door in your left rear surround. You'd hear Mr. Spock stationed in your right rear surround. You know, things like that. I, so it, it literally sounds like you're on the bridge of the Enterprise oh, wow. when, you're, when you're in this in the sound effects montage. So it'll be fun. Wow. So, yeah. in other words, you're going to start, you know, like, reaching out to all the Trekkers out there, too. There's so many of them there, uh, since it's a science oh, fiction well. convention. okay. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, hopefully they'll... Uh, Hopefully I did it justice. Uh, well, you know, today is Halloween. It is. So do we have any more ooky spooky sounds? Oh, you said you... Uh, you. Well, I wondered if you... Oh, no, that I, I oh. was waiting for you to, to bring out your... Uh, didn't you say there was an appearance from the Banshee? Yes. Yeah. I, I think it's time for the Banshee to make an appearance oh today. You actually heard a little tiny bit of the Banshee in your little opening... Uh, Sound yes, effects I know. Montage, which was from the exhibit, also the Halloween sounds there. But yeah, the banshee is a fun. Where's my banshee? <laughs> there she is. Yeah. Jimmy McDonald, who is the head of the Disney sound effects department. <laughs> Jimmy McDonald made all these wonderful sounds for Disney. And uh, he is represented in the exhibit, of course. Uh, the, the Halloween section is mostly Disney sound effects, and you get to hear him scream. He did the scream in the Haunted Mansion in the elevator. You know, he's oh, that wow. last descending scream. That's Jimmy. Um, his voice is all over the place, and his performance, too, because he would make these props that he would perform to make the different sounds. So it's very much his 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 soul is in all those wonderful sounds. Well, you know, speaking of scream, you're going to have to you're going to have to look <sighs> now at the disc. Oh god. Look at the flash drive, Pam. Here it comes. It's not in the October 31st. Uh, yeah. It's by itself. You know, it is in the exhibit too, you know. It is Do you see the one I'm talking it's about? It's in the Star Wars uh, section of the exhibit. I had to work it in. It's by itself and it starts with a W. <laughs> I can't go through Halloween without hearing it. Kill me. Please kill me. Hi, I'm Steve Lee. I'm a sound effects wrangler, a Hollywood historian, and I run the website HollywoodLostAndFound.net. He sounds much younger. The Wilhelm scream is a sound effect that was recorded in 1951 for a film called Distant Drums. It was a Gary Cooper movie. That's right, Steve. And they needed the sound for a man being bitten by an alligator and being dragged underwater. One of the actors in the film, and we believe it was Sheb Woolley, came in and, and did this scream that was used in the film, and it was archived away in the Warner Brothers Sound Effects Library. This collection is used for many, many different films, and so that scream, that scream that he performed for that film, got used in so many different films and westerns under the Warner Brothers banner. And then cut to 1976 when Ben Bird is researching Star Wars. He uh, actually tracked down the master of the sound at Warner Brothers and started using the sound as sort of his own personal sound signature. He started using it in all the films he worked on, just sort of as a little in-joke and a little sort of signature of his own. It's in all the Star Wars films. It's in all the Indiana Jones films. So far, there's over 200 films that it's appeared in. The man getting bit hey, by an alligator and he screams. Let's hear the session. Directing him, he says, uh, the first one you did up here is much better. There it is. Yes, the Wilhelm is in the exhibit. The Wilhelm is in the exhibit, and we actually have a panel telling the history. Because I, a, a couple years ago, when I started writing my column for uh, the Motion Picture Sound Editors magazine, mm -hmm. Wavelength. One of the first things my editor, Chris Horgan, asked me is, can you do a piece on Wilhelm? Do the definitive history now. <sighs> okay. 
and I've told that story so many times, but I put like every little bit of information I had into this piece. It's like the definitive piece. And I have often said that I think that's the last time I'm going to talk about this in print because and, I don't know what more to say about it. And aren't it. <laughs> you glad that I just saved you from having I to actually, talk about it? I actually send out that clip in lieu of talking about it. I, I basically, here, just here. And since I just, save everything. You yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Well. You're like a museum. <laughs> I learned See from. See what I did there? Yeah. See what I did there? I learned from my father. Yeah. And you. Well, this has been another absolute joy. Thank to you have so much, you. Debbie. I really appreciate it. And I'm thrilled that, that you made your big surprise reveal on Behind the Lens. Well, today. you've been you've been very good to us. You've always made time for us and have been a big supporter. And you came to you came to our first event yes, at the, the Scum and Villainy Cantina, yes. which was a few years ago, which was really fun. And uh, we're going to have more. And uh, I well, I, I hope, hope to so. See you there. Yeah. Well, if you have them and I'm available, I will come. There you go. If you build it, <laughs> I will come. Thank you, Debbie. Yeah, you know, thank you. Well, that is all the time we have today. Of course, we went over. We always go we over. We always go over a little, but not. Of much, course, I do, <laughs> because it's my show, and I do. <laughs> uh, so next week, we've got more live guests coming in. Well, no, nobody's going to be in studio next week. <gasps> no. Should I come again? No. Okay. I have other. I got other <laughs> films I got to talk about next week because November is National Diabetes Month. Ah, that's important. And there is a film coming out that is called the. Where is it? I have it here. She's looking it, through. It's it called up. the Human Trial, oh. and we're going to have the filmmakers. Oh, great! And this is another film that. Thanks to a mother that was extremely diabetic and, and believed that diabetic comas were the only way to go uh, throughout life. Let's not eat and, and take our insulin, that kind of deal. And a brother who actually is diabetic and passed out on the phone while he was talking to me once. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, I have a really screwed up family. What can I say? <laughs> um, but so, you know, National Diabetes Month is important. Uh, to me. So I'm very happy to have the filmmakers of The Human Trial on uh, next week. So until then, it's Halloween. Go get your Wilhelm scream on. <laughs> and until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. <laughs>